Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. Whenever you cats and kittens are, welcome to a very special episode of Sports Crutch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromolo. And what makes today's episode so special? Well, with NFL training camps now in full swing, it is time to start preparing very, very hard for your fantasy football league drafts. And what better person is there to give you quality fantasy advice than our special guest today, Dave Richard, senior fantasy football writer for CBS Sports. I was fortunate to meet Dave over a year and a half ago at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama, and it is an absolute honor to welcome him back to the program today. What's up, Dave? How you doing? What, what's up, David? It's good to talk with you. I remember that day well. Um, it was media day at the Senior nice. Bowl, and uh, man, things seemed so normal and simple back then. <laughs> Because uh, right after that Senior Bowl, the the entire sports world and world in general kind of shut down. This was uh, February, February of 2019, or maybe Jan- late, late January, January of 2019, where uh, you came up to me, you you recognized me, and you said, "Let's have a chat." I said, "Let's do it," and uh, we sung the praises of Chase Claypool and uh, Devin Duvernay. Yep. And a number of other players that were at the Senior Bowl that year. And now some of them have gone on to start their NFL careers quite nicely. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll continue to keep it rocking here. And uh, I'm excited. Claypool was there, wasn't he? Or am I yeah, Chase Claypool was... was indeed there, yes. and uh, Was he, he there is... when we were there in 2019? Yes, or... he was in 2020 when we were there. Chase Claypool was It was the there. 2020 Senior Bowl? Yes, it was. Yes. I, it all, so it was January 2020 and not 2019. Correct. I'm getting my years mixed up. <laughs> I'm old, David. I'm old. <laughs> so this, this tends to happen, but I promise I won't mix anything up when we talk about, you know, Bills quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, Steelers quarterback, Josh <laughs> Allen, uh, Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady. I think I got that one right. I think we're ready to rock now. Let's do it. I think we're ready to rock indeed. And let's start the program off by talking about some draft strategies. And the two most common ways to begin a fantasy football draft, at least the ones I've come across, are to either draft two running backs in the first two rounds or to draft run one running back and one wide receiver in the first two rounds. Which of those two approaches do you prefer and why? I prefer the two running backs and, and really what I'm doing in all of my drafts this year is taking at least two running backs with my first three picks. There will be special circumstances based on like incredible value falling to me in a draft where I'll veer from that. But for the most part, I find myself taking a running back in round one. Uh, it, it That's absolutely going to be the case in a non PPR league and a half PPR league. I'm taking a running back in round one. I, I can, uh, I would hope to wait on somebody like Kelsey or Devonte Adams or Tyreek Hill uh, in, in those types of formats. Full PPR, it's a little different. Kelsey's of more interest to me there. Uh, he's just been so incredible. It's been five straight years, David, that he's finished as the number one tight end in full PPR leagues. Devonte Adams has done it in, in PPR points per game two of the last three years. Tyreek's been top five two of the last three years in PPR points per game. So those guys warrant a late first round pick. So I, I will take them if if they're there in PPR leagues. But what I'm finding is that people are going for Kelsey anywhere from fifth to eighth overall. Uh, people will take Devontae Adams anywhere from eighth to 12th overall. 
Some people will take Tyreek Hill 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range too. But I'm usually, I'm finding a running back that I'm comfortable with in round one. What I do in round two is if there's a running back I like, maybe one of my top 15 or so running backs in my rankings, if they're there in round two, I'll take one of them. But I'm also keeping the periscope up for a tight end. If, if, uh, if Darren Waller or George Kittle are there in late round two, I will strongly consider them. If they're there in round three, it's a no-brainer because that's a position that is very, very thin at the top. And then it all kind of, there's another tier after that. That's pretty good. It's, it's Andrews, it's Hawkinson, it's Pitts, And then after that, you might as well just wait on filling the tight end position. So I, I think my team will have a better advantage if I get one of those three tight ends. And then in round three, if I, if I've got a running back and a tight end, I'm going to take a long look at what's left at running back. If there's a guy I like, I'm taking him. If not, I'm probably going to go receiver. Uh, or if there's a tight end that's just waiting for me with open arms saying, take me, take me, I'm on my way. I'm, I'm taking Darren Waller or George Kittle if they fall in round three, no matter what I've gotten rounds one and two. But very running back heavy and certainly uh, a very keen eye on those tight ends. Thank you very much for that breakdown, Dave. And uh, now let's talk about uh, something that I did in the past but don't do as much today. In the past, I would use fantasy playoff schedules as tiebreakers between players who I had rated evenly. However, Evan Silva of EstablishedRun.com talked me out of that, saying you need players who have advantageous schedules right off the bat because you need to win as many games as you can early in the season. When you're drafting, how much stock do you put into early season schedules, weeks one through four, and playoff schedules? That's the tiebreaker. And I I go through a whole exercise uh, during the offseason where I study every team's defense, the personnel that's there, the scheme that's there, the depth that's there. And I basically grade each element as it caters to how they play against tight ends. So for example, uh, you know, when I look at a pass defense against tight end, I'm looking at the linebackers and the safeties, how well they cover instead of the corners. Cause you're never going to see outside corners reliably cover tight ends game after game after game. There'll be special circumstances, but you won't see it that often. Uh, and then with wide receivers, I'm looking more at those corners than I am the linebackers and the safeties because wide receivers typically line up against cornerbacks. I know that you know this, David. This is for, for everybody that might just, you know, being be new to football at this point, I guess. But I, I go through that process. I grade each defense. And then I put together uh, a, my own projected strength of schedule for every single fantasy player, the skill position players that we're drafting. And the, those players that have good early season projected strength of schedules – I'm going to lean toward them as a tiebreaker. I do agree with Evan. Evan's a smart guy. He knows what he's talking about. And early season schedules is absolutely the tiebreaker that you're looking for when you're debating between two guys. I completely agree there, Dave. And speaking of fantasy playoff schedules for a moment, with the NFL changing to the 17-game, 18-week regular season format this year, when would you recommend fantasy league commissioners to schedule their playoffs? Same standard as always with weeks 14, 15, and 16, or do you move it to weeks 15, 16, and 17? Yeah, let's move it back. If the NFL is adding that extra game, then I don't think week 17 is going to be the week that everybody rests their starters like it was in the past. I think that'll be week 18. And so week 17, everybody will still be playing, which means you should be able to use the you know, full complement of players on your fantasy team in a championship game in week 17. So you're going to push it back. That means everybody's going to play 14 weeks instead of 13. Uh, There might be some havoc caused with tiebreakers. So if you're a league commissioner, make sure you've got your tiebreakers figured out in all of your leagues. And then first round of the playoffs, week 15, second round, week 16, championship week, week 17. 
And then you have yourself a, a toilet bowl or a fun game in week 18 where everybody, you know, puts together their worst lineup and whoever gets the best score wins, something like that. Have something fun where you can take advantage of the last week of the season. Thank you very much for that advice, Dave. And now on to the most devalued position in real football, but probably the most valuable position in fantasy football, the running back position. And this year in fantasy, we have a big four at the running back position of Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Alvin Kamara, not necessarily in that order. There is a case for any of them to be selected with the first overall pick in redraft leagues, whether they be PPR or standard scoring. That said, you and your two colleagues at CBS Sports, Jamie Eisenberg and Keith Cummings, all have McCaffrey at the top of your board. Even with the injuries he suffered last season and the tread on the tires he's already accumulated through four seasons in the National Football League, why is he your number one fantasy player right now? Well, you talk about tread on the tire. I think you can absolutely say the same thing about Cook, Kamara, and Henry, especially Henry. He's had 400 touches each of the past two seasons. That's that's not tread on the tire. The guy might need new tires eventually, but I mean – Tell me if this sounds funny, David. I, I said that he, he, he's got the build of a RoboCop. You remember RoboCop from when we were kids and the movie that came out? Dude who's half man, half robot, but he's built the, like a machine. Not familiar with it. Okay. Well, that's because you're younger and hipper than me. But RoboCop <laughs> is, this, you know, uh, just a, a corny action movie from the 80s. And, and Derrick Henry is uh, someone who's just built strong. I've stood next to him. The guy looks like he should be playing linebacker or tight end and not running back. So I can't imagine what it's like for defenses to try and bring him down play after play over the course of a game. But there's a lot of tread on that tire. Dalvin Cook has been healthy for the last two seasons. I don't think there's anything that anybody can say that take away from that. We can trust him for that, but he's had a lot of work over those seasons. And Alvin Kamara doesn't necessarily get a ton of carries, but he gets a lot of catches. He gets hit a lot, dealt with a knee injury. He's someone that's definitely got some tread on the tire. Christian McCaffrey was hurt twice last year, but he only played three games and he's definitely had the time to rest and get his body right and ready to go for the season. But I also think that fantasy managers just kind of recognize what his upside is and like how celebrated he is in fantasy football. I'll give you an example of this, David. He had at least 15 PPR points in 30 of his last 35 games. That's a success rate of 86%. You're never going to find anybody with a success rate like that. But even if we make it 20 PPR points per game, okay, that, that's tough to do. Getting 20 PPR points in a fantasy game, it's tough to do. He's done it in 27 of his past 35 games. That's a success rate of 77.1%. These are insane numbers, and you can get this guy to lead your team, and you're, you're trying to draft the best players possible. The guys are going to put up as many fantasy points as possible. McCaffrey's done this. He could get hurt again. Yes, it's possibly true, but I, I just think that his role in the offense and the upside that he offers fantasy managers cannot be ignored. And I actually think it, it sucked when it was happening last year, but it's a good thing now. The fact that he didn't get a lot of work last year makes him more fresh and more available in 2021. Oh, that is an excellent point, and thank you for that fascinating data there, Dave. And after those four running backs, there's a little bit of a drop-off. But one running back that you and several others are certainly high on is Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts. While I understand the reasons to feel that way about him, given how he played last season and the elite offensive line in front of him, a concern I have is the presence of Naeem Hines, who will spell him on third down quite a bit, plus the return of Marlon Mack from injury. Why is Jonathan Taylor worth an investment as early as the fifth overall pick in fantasy drafts? Because I think it's a completely different situation than last year, where we knew that Jonathan Taylor had great talent, but 
We also knew that he wasn't going to be the the lead back going into the year, that Marlon Mack was the incumbent and that he would certainly be that lead back to begin with and Taylor would mix in with him. And we knew that Naheem Hines would be the passing downs guy last year. What I think has changed is Marlon Mack tore his Achilles and we don't know just how effective he'll be. We've seen plenty of NFL players tear their Achilles and they don't come back the same guy. So I'm nervous about Marlon Mack not quite being as effective and not being used as much. He might fall to being used on 10 snaps a game, David. I'm worried about him um, being anything more than just a, you know, a guy who's available when Jonathan Taylor you know, misses a game or just needs a break during a game. And Naheem Hines is absolutely a passing down spec, but Taylor proved that he could catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit as well. I would imagine that when, when they're in the two-minute offense or when they're in the hurry-up offense, you will see more of Naheem Hines. But if they get inside the 10 or inside the 5, I bet they go right back to Jonathan Taylor. And that's been his role. I look back at those last six games, and there was a time last year, and, and David, I know you watch the games. I know you'll agree with me. It looked like Jonathan Taylor didn't know what he was doing. He looked tentative. It looked like he was playing scared, maybe thinking a little bit too much. And then it all kind of clicked by the time they got to mid-November. His last six games, he put up over 800 total yards. He scored eight touchdowns. And that kind of pace, obviously, if you're scoring eight touchdowns in six games and 800 total yards in six games, that's a ridiculous pace. The most simple, the most people who hate math the most can even understand just how huge of a pace is. That's it's a 2000 total yard pace. It's 20 touchdown pace. And so here's a running back that has that type of potential. I know that Marlon Mack will be there. I don't think he's going to take much away. And I think that Jonathan Taylor will still be the preferred option for the Colts kind of in general, not just when they're in short yardage goal line situations, but pretty much, I don't think they're going to turn to Carson Wentz and say, okay, Carson lead the way. I think Taylor's going to get a ton of work. The offensive line is great. He's young. He's sturdy. I think there's a chance he could certainly finish as a top three fantasy running back this season. There most certainly is. But Sigmund Bloom of footballguys.com brought up a very good point today. He said that David Montgomery of the Bears, he had another a similar stretch of games late in the season that propelled him to fantasy football stardom. He thinks that David Montgomery could be better value in, say, the fourth round than uh, Jonathan Taylor in the late first. Uh, do you get that line of thinking? I do get that line of thinking, but I would counter that by saying that David Montgomery had that same type of success against easier opponents. And that's not to say that John, I mean, Jonathan Taylor played against Jacksonville in one of those games. So he, he definitely had his fair share of uh, easy matchups, but Montgomery did too. And Montgomery had more experience. I think Taylor would have done better earlier in the season if he had just been more comfortable. He didn't look like the same running back in those six games that I'm referencing as he did earlier in the season, he looked lost out there. And Montgomery has a year under his belt. And when he was playing before he had this great opportunity against, you know, this row of weak defenses, he wasn't getting as much work and he wasn't as effective toward the end of the year. He was getting all the work, certainly way more carries than he was at the beginning of the year. And he was very effective against defenses that were throwing in the towel. So I, why, and I, it's not to take away anything from Montgomery. I'm, I'm starting to warm up to Montgomery. I think he's a good third round pick now in fantasy. But I think Jonathan Taylor has a chance to just be an outstanding um, player who's got more upside than David Montgomery, and that makes him worth taking a couple rounds earlier. Thank you very much, Dave. And now on to the wide receiver position. And looking at your current wide receiver rankings, one player you currently have in your wide receiver one tier is Washington's Terry McLaurin. And while his immense talent has been evident his first two years of the league, he hasn't quite cracked fantasy football stardom yet. 
Why do you think 2021 will be his breakout season from a fantasy perspective? For the record, he's not in my top tier. He's in my second tier when it comes to fantasy football, but I do see him as more of a number one receiver. And I like the idea of him catching passes from Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Fitzpatrick has the opportunity to, and we've seen it from him where he locks onto that number one outside receiver, puts the ball in a place where that receiver can make a play. And McLaurin has been a playmaker. We just haven't seen him quite do it consistently over the course of his career. He also hasn't exactly been uh, huge when it comes to fantasy points per game last year. He had 14.5 PPR points per game. That's pretty good. That was wide receiver 21. That was a number two fantasy wide receiver. The year before that, it was 13.3. I, I would say that a lot of that had to do with Terry McLaurin's quarterbacks and the guys that he was working with in Washington. And it was, you know, this parade of mediocrity from Dwayne Haskins to Alex Smith to uh, Taylor Heineke. And I know it sounds silly to think that, uh, that Ryan Fitzpatrick is that much better than those guys, but I think he will make a difference. And I think that Fitzpatrick being there is kind of a sign that Washington's going to be okay with throwing the football more and not be this conservative type of NFL offense. And that combined with the fact that I think the target volume will go up for McLaurin, even with Curtis Samuel joining, even with Logan Thomas getting his contract extension, I think there's hope for him and optimism for him to average over 15 PPR points per game and to be a nice fantasy wideout as a low end number one guy. And just to be clear with tears, I kind of thought that he was in your wide receiver one tier because he's in your top 12 receivers, but does your sure. first year and after your top 10? No, it, it varies from year to year. Um, my first tier of wide receivers. I, I think I got to look this up here. Yeah. I, I've got, I've got, Anywhere from five, depends on the format, David. It's anywhere from five to maybe nine receivers in that first slash second tier. So McLaurin's behind that. I'll tell you what I told people on our podcast, our Fantasy Football Today podcast that you can download wherever you download the podcast that you're listening to right now. There are four guys I think are kind of in this bubble. There's McLaurin, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, Robert Woods. I think they're all guys that fantasy managers would love to have on their team They'll even take them as number one guys, but they kind of belong in that third round range together. And I suspect that all four of them are kind of going to go in the same range where uh, they'll get picked after DK Metcalf and EJ Brown, and they'll get picked ahead of the Cowboys receivers or the Bucks receivers. You know what I'm saying? So like yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of in a range of their own, maybe even a tier of their own where they've got the potential to finish as top 12 wide receivers. That's why they're ranked that way, but they're, they're also not quite, considered great enough to be in that elite elite top tier thank you for the explanation there and wide receiver is always one of the deeper positions in fantasy football would you be content if the first receiver you drafted was a guy like adam Thielen, cd lamb or dj moore if you took two running backs and one of those top three tight ends in the first three rounds absolutely without question and it, it it's not because i think those guys have a chance to be number one receivers in their own right we've seen it from at least in, in Thielen, we've seen it from him in the past and i think if dj moore just gets an uptick in touchdowns uh, they need to give him more opportunities to get touchdowns to be honest and I, I think he can get there too and lamb certainly has upside even though we didn't see him perform as a number one receiver last year but we, uh, this is something that i think everybody should do before they go into their draft david they need to look at somebody's wide receiver rankings. If it's mine, great. It could be anybody's. And they need to draw a line where they go, okay, this is, this is the spot where I'm not comfortable starting any of these wide receivers on my fantasy team. I guarantee you that that line will come after, unless you're really picky, it'll come after 40th overall. 
you'll just keep going down the list. You'll say, okay, Jamar Chase, yeah, absolutely, he's an awesome talent. Jerry Judy, uh, maybe he's got some upside. Marquise Brown finished last year strong. Brandon Cooks could get a ton of targets in Houston. Somewhere in that range, you'll draw that red line. You'll say, okay, I'm not comfortable starting uh, Michael Pittman. As a, as, a, as a number two or a number three receiver in my fantasy team or Marvin Jones or LaVisca Chanel, you know, whatever it is. And the longer that list is, the more you can wait to take wide receivers. And for me, that line is way down there. I'm comfortable taking a bunch of receivers to have start on my fantasy team. And that means that I'm okay letting other people in my league take the Justin Jeffersons and DK Metcalfs and Keenan Allens of the fantasy world. If I'm ending up with CD Lamb as my wide receiver one, and, uh, you know, somebody like Chase Claypool, I like Claypool, my wide receiver too. Tyler Boyd as my flex, something like that. I'm totally fine with that, especially if it's PPR leagues, because those guys are going to put up plenty of points too. The thing that we're seeing from wide receivers is that there are so many of them that can deliver anywhere from 13 to 18 PPR points per game that you don't have to necessarily hunt and peck for specific ones. You can just kind of wait for them to fall into your lap on draft day while picking players at other positions that values you love earlier on. Thank you very much, Dave. And now on to the tight end position, which, as you alluded to, as far as fantasy is concerned, you have the big three, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and De'Aaron Waller, and then a bit of a logjam after them with Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, and Kyle Pitts. While I understand many reasons why you have uh, Andrews and Hawkinson currently ahead of Kyle Pitts on your board, I personally Mm -hmm. think there's just as much of an argument for Pitts to be the fourth tight end taken in fantasy leagues. And Kyle Pitts, you have a super rare, freakish athletic specimen they call the unicorn at Florida, for crying out loud, who is easily the most gifted tight end to enter the National Football League in a long time. And he will be playing in Arthur Smith's tight end centric offense on a Falcons team that will be playing from behind a lot. And with Julio Jones gone, there's every single reason to believe he will be a target monster. Would you fault anybody for taking Kyle Pitts with both Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson still on the board? Absolutely not. And so that that's the easy question to answer. The harder question to answer is, would you fault somebody if they took Kyle Pitts in round four or round three? And that's a little bit tougher to answer because I think there are so many other players that seem safer at other positions that I, I would say, well, what are you doing? You know, kind of sinking all your eggs into the Kyle Pitts basket. The way to approach Pitts is if you, if you have to have them, you're looking at late round four. And if you're picking early in round four and you have to have Pitts, then I guess you take them and you don't worry about Andrews and you don't worry about Hawkinson. And there's going to be two or three people in every league that are going to feel that way. So Kyle Pitts is going to end up being a very popular top 50 type of pick, David. You're going to see it happen for the reasons that you described. He was outstanding at Florida, caught a touchdown every 3.6 receptions at Florida last year. That's out. That, that's crazy. <laughs> like, you, think about it. Every, every Less than every four catches, he's scoring a touchdown. And Arthur Smith's offense is definitely going to be a lot of fun. We saw him do great things with Johnny Smith and Anthony Ferkser, uh in, in the past in Tennessee. 100% you'll see Pitts used. I think you're going to see Pitts used as a wide receiver, frankly. I, I think the way that you look at him, because people will say, well, rookie tight ends never do well. But if you think of Pitts as a wide receiver who – is blessed by the fantasy gods to be used as a tight end, I think you'll feel a lot better about him. And if you, if you kind of size him up as a wide receiver and you even lowball his projections a little bit, I think you'd, you'd still say, I think he's a great candidate for 800 yards. And you can really lowball his touchdowns and say six touchdowns. Okay. 
So 800 yards and six touchdowns, that's not great for a fantasy wide receiver. That might be like a wide receiver three, but for a tight end, that's really good, especially if he's catching 50 or 60 balls on top of it. And remember, we're, we're, we're kind of shaking him down on the projections here. We're saying that he can do better than that. And I think you understand exactly what the ceiling is for somebody like Pitts. I'd be interested to hear what you think the ceiling is statistically for Kyle Pitts. But I, I think as, as tight ends go, if you've got a guy that can get you 800 yards and six touchdowns, you go after him. The one thing that I notice is that TJ Hawkinson, I, I think he's in line to lead the Lions in targets. I think he could be a 100 catch guy. I think Mark Andrews can get a ton of touchdowns in Baltimore. And I think that he can get close to a thousand yards. So I feel a little more comfortable taking those guys ahead of Kyle Pitts, but not by a lot. And I, I, I'm not quite there yet with Kyle Pitts, but if I see data and evidence in the preseason that suggests that Kyle Pitts' ceiling is higher than what I've just told you, uh, or the floor, I guess I should say, is higher than what I just told you, then, yeah, I think, I, I think everybody will move him to four. And then there will start to be a conversation about, well, do you even take him ahead of Kittle? Do you take him ahead of some of these other receivers that are in the round three, round early round four range? He's going to be an interesting conundrum on draft day, but I promise you this, someone in every league will reach for him with that top 45 type pick. As far as the ceiling for Kyle Pitts is concerned, I personally think with the added regular season game and the fact that the Falcons aren't going to be good this year and they're going to be playing from behind a lot and they're going to be playing their younger guys every single game to develop them. Uh, I don't think it's out of the question that he could break Mike Ditka's all-time record for receiving yards by a rookie tight end. That's his ceiling. I, I think it's opinion. definitely possible. What, what is that number, by the way? Uh, I believe it's just slightly over 1,000, I believe. And in 17 games, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's absolutely something that you can consider. I, I think it's absolutely within range. I think it's – to me, the question is, is he going to put up numbers like Kelsey or Kittle? I mean, Kittle once had 1,400 yards in the season. I think that's kind of ridiculous. Can he, can, he, can he get you 1,200 yards and, and nine touchdowns? I, I wonder if that's just a little bit too much to ask for a rookie – Regardless of position, that's a lot to ask for Jamar Chase. And for Pitts, I just I I'm a little nervous about him playing that well. But if you're talking about, you know, just over a thousand yards and eight touchdowns, I, I can't say that that's preposterous. And now on to the quarterback position, which in fantasy is kind of like the reverse of the running back position, because unlike in real football, great quarterback play in fantasy football is quite plentiful. And that's why they say every year to wait as long as you can to draft a quarterback. How long would you personally wait on a quarterback in 2021? So I used to be the guy that drove that train, David, and, and told people, you, you, you don't draft a quarterback until you're in your draft. And you look at who's available and you see a quarterback that's there and you can't believe the value. It feels like you're ripping off the rest of your league. That's the time to take your quarterback. It's a little bit different now. I, I think that people are kind of catching up to the idea that rushing quarterbacks give you a decided edge in fantasy football. They also are up to the idea that Patrick Mahomes is a candidate for 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards, especially if you're giving him an extra game to play and they're going to be on top of him. So Mahomes, Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott. Those are the five quarterbacks where the initial part of my quarterback strategy is if I can get them at a fair value to an immense value, I'm doing it. I'm not going to reach for them. And I think a lot of people in, in typical home leagues, they'll take Mahomes in round one or Josh Allen in round two. Uh, th these are one quarterback leagues, obviously, not super flex or two quarterback leagues. 
I, I'm going to let them take them. I'm not going to get caught up in, and change my strategy and take, you know, Lamar Jackson or Kyler or Josh Allen if he's there in round three. I'm just, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, David. Not going to happen. But I've taken these quarterbacks in round four and round five, and I've ended up doing it quite a bit because I'll find a point in my draft where I don't really like the running backs that are left. There's no tight end that I'm really dying to have. Uh, the top six tight ends are probably all gone. And I want to have a decided advantage like I do at tight end. I want to have that decided advantage at quarterback. And it won't be quite as defined as it will be at tight end, but it'll still be an advantage. It's still an advantage to have a quarterback like Josh Allen who can run for a touchdown on top of throwing three touchdowns over an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady whose, whose best days are throwing for as many yards as Josh Allen, but not getting that extra production on the ground. So I, I'm fine looking for those five quarterbacks at a fair value. And if I can get one of them by the end of round five, I'm thrilled. I think that that's really good. Now, let's say I don't get any of them by the end of round five. I'm not going to go cry, but I'll probably revert back to my typical approach, which is I'm going to wait until there's a quarterback value that I just can't believe. It's so good. I've got to take it uh, and, and move on from there. And I've done that in drafts too. I, I was in a draft where I took Justin Herbert with the last pick in round seven. Another senior bowl guy that we saw together, as a matter of fact, I remember not liking him at the senior bowl. And then look how great he was with the chargers. It's funny aside. Um, but I, I think he's got a chance to continue putting up big numbers uh, with the chargers. I, I like the direction that the offense is going to go in and make that offense more about Justin uh, than anything else. I think Jalen hurts has crazy upside. He's got a thousand yard rushing potential. That's really good. And then you got Rogers and Brady who, all right, they're not going to throw for 50 touchdowns. I mean, Maybe, but I, I think that if you said to me that they finished with, you know, 38 touchdowns, I'd say, okay, totally believable. And then Ryan Tannehill's in the mix too, especially now that he's got Julio Jones. And then we haven't even talked about Stafford or Joe Burrow or, you know, what if Justin Fields ends up doing great and he ends up starting for Chicago, Trey Lance with San Francisco, Trevor Lawrence with Jacksonville. Uh, Lawrence, to me, especially feels like somebody who could be ready to go week one and, and be a good contributor for fantasy, and he'll run a little bit. So the position is pretty deep. I feel comfortable waiting on that position if I cannot get one of those first five quarterbacks uh, with, with a pick by the end of round five. And speaking of your quarterback rankings, and by the way, I totally agree with that strategy. If Patrick Mahomes is staring at the face in round four, round five, especially if your league awards six points for a touchdown pass, do not hesitate to take maybe, maybe, maybe even round three on Mahomes. There might be a special case for him. Indeed. Indeed. So we're on the same page there, but uh, to your quarterback rankings for a moment, currently you have Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson ahead of Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson on your board. Why are you more bullish on the former two than you are on the latter three at the moment? It's the rushing more than anything else. And uh, let's face it, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, when it comes to passing the football, they're not as crisp as other quarterbacks around the league, but they do get the job done. Uh, I actually think it's, it's great for Arizona uh, that they got both Rondell Moore and A.J. Green in the draft to go along with DeAndre Hopkins. And if they, if they make this move to chase Edmonds at running back, to me that screams more about their offense being Kyler-centric and that Kyler can connect with Chase Edmonds in the passing game and it just gives him more targets and he might throw a little bit more. That extra pass attempt volume that he might have on top of what he does as a runner 
could make him just an absolute beast in fantasy football. So I want to get a piece of that. And the same thing can be said in Baltimore. They added Rashad Bateman. He's going to be a great perimeter receiver one day. Uh, Sammy Watkins, again, somebody that I don't think anybody is ready to draft in fantasy, but someone that'll help out Lamar Jackson on top of Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. Like, I, I think that these are good groups of pass catchers around these quarterbacks. And not only should they be, at least take a step forward in terms of efficiency, but they're going to run like crazy too. Both of them are candidates for over a thousand yards. We've seen it from Lamar already in his career. That's kind of part of the secret code to crushing fantasy footballs. If you've got a quarterback, that's going to get you decent passing numbers and then become a great rusher on top of it. Like it's like having an extra running back on your team who wouldn't want that. So I know that Dak runs a little bit. I know that Russ runs a little bit. I know that Herbert runs a little bit, and I know all three of them have a chance to be great passers. Dak especially might have huge numbers. We really might be undervaluing him there. But it's those rushing stats that really do it for me when it comes to Kyler and Lamar. Thank you very much for that. And he is Dave Richard, ladies and gentlemen, senior fantasy football writer for CBS Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Dave Richard. And Dave, we thank you so much for coming here. But we got uh, two more topics to discuss before we let you go here. First, name some players to avoid at each of the skill positions. So I'm I'm not quite sure if I'm ready to take Joe Burrow ahead of Stafford and Tannehill and Brady. And I'm not saying that that's happening in drafts. There's a lot of drafts where he's going as the 13th quarterback off the board. And I still think he's okay as a starter. And I love his weapons that he's throwing to, but I'm a little concerned about that offensive line protecting him and, and maybe kind of ruining uh, his upside in Cincinnati. I do think they're going to be playing from behind a lot. So Burrow is one of those guys that I, I don't think he's an out and out bust at the quarterback position, but someone that I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm really going to wait to get him. And I think I'm going to wait on Aaron Rodgers a little bit too. I know that he's just been all over the news lately and everybody's excited about him. But before last year, the two years prior, he was not exactly lighting the fantasy world on fire. He was below 22 fantasy points per game in 2019, in 2018. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if he took a step back after what he did last year in terms of fantasy points. So I'm a little bit nervous about Aaron Rodgers. That's another quarterback that I'm just not ready to reach for at running back. Uh, I don't I don't think I've drafted Josh Jacobs in a single league yet, David. The offensive line lost four of their best uh, highly not best necessarily, but their highest graded run blockers from last year. There's a lot of turnover there. I'm not sure if that offensive line is going to necessarily be even a little bit better than last year's line and last year's line wasn't anything to write home about. But the Raiders also brought in Kenyon Drake. Uh, I think John Gruden really wants to do more to make sure that Josh Jacobs lasts through 17 games. And he's never been a big factor in the passing game. Drake has that role. And Drake was actually better uh, in short yardage situations in terms of carries, conversions, and that includes at the goal line than Josh Jacobs was last year. Maybe some of that had to do with playing with Kyler Murray and making defenses have to account for both of those guys on every single play. But I, I think that Kenyon Drake has kind of morphed into this north-south runner who has some pretty good hands. And I think the Raiders are looking for that. And that makes me nervous to take Josh Jacobs and to say that he's going to end up being um, just, you know, a baller again, like he was last year. Um, I'm nervous that that coaching staff doesn't quite love him as much as maybe some people in fantasy football do. Could say the exact same thing for Daryl Henderson. Now that he's going to be the main back in LA. Uh, when, when, when Akers was hurt last year, Henderson looked all right. And then as soon as Akers was back on the field, it was like Sean, it was like out of a movie where like Sean McVay would like throw Daryl Henderson out of the way and, and just keep him on the bench and not even use him. David, he has two career games 
playing more than 50% of the snaps. He's played 38 third down snaps in his entire career. This is a guy who I think flashed some good hands when he was in college. And I think that he can still do it. And we've seen some good efficiency from him catching the football in the pros. But I, I wonder if there's a trust issue there between McVeigh and Henderson, but really it's going to come down to whether or not McVeigh adds somebody else. And I know that right now he's saying that he's not going to do it. You never know who's going to come free in free agency. And there is a chance that they could add a veteran. And when they do that, you'll be sad that you took Daryl Henderson uh, in round three. I've seen him go late round three. I've seen him go early round four. I think, I think we'll see Henderson go late round four, David. I think that's where we're going to see him end up going. Not that I'm okay with that. I'd, I'd prefer to get him in round five. I'd prefer to get him in round 12. Let, let's be honest. That's when I want to go ahead and get him, but I don't think I'm going to get him there anymore. Uh, I think round four is going to be where you see him. And that's a little bit too rich for my blood. I'm worried about Mike Evans. And last year, his his fantasy numbers were done or were good because of what he did uh, finding the end zone. Got a lot of touchdown targets. And that's good. I don't know if that's going to be able to repeat. He played through four different injuries last year. There's a lot of people in that offense that Tom Brady can lean on. And if defenses take away Mike Evans in the red zone, it's going to open up Antonio Brown or Godwin or Gronk. And Brady's going to have no problem throwing to those other guys. So I am a little concerned about Mike Evans being a great fantasy receiver. I'm concerned about Kenny Galladay uh, being on the other end of Daniel Jones throws. Not convinced that that offensive line in New York is going to protect Daniel Jones. And that's really been the problem with him over the past couple of years is that Daniel Jones, there's two problems with Daniel Jones. Number one, I don't think he's comfortable when the protection breaks down. Number two, his receivers can't get open. Galladay is more of a contested catch guy rather than a, a get open with his route running guy. And I'm, I'm just worried about how that'll end up. And uh, th there's a great track record of how number one receivers have done on the outside from, from Jason Garrett when Garrett's called plays, but I'm not sure that Galladay will get those kinds of numbers, even in 17 games, if he plays 17 games. So that's a receiver that I'm shying away from. Tight end, there, there aren't a lot of tight ends that I'm really that nervous about. I guess um, the three that I could make the case for are Dallas Goddard, since it looks like Zach Ertz is going to stay in Philadelphia. That'll take some targets away. And I think Devontae Smith is just going to eat up targets from Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to be very, very targeted in that Philadelphia offense. Noah Fant is a tremendous athlete, but the, the team just doesn't seem to feed him a lot near the red zone. That needs to change. I'm not sure if Drew Locke is the quarterback to do it. I'm not sure if Teddy Bridgewater is the guy to do it. And if you want to talk about crowded passing games, you know what they've got in Denver. Cortland Sutton's coming back. Jerry Judy should be better. Uh, KJ Hamler's got speed. Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon at running back. They've got plenty of options. They don't need to lean on, on Noah Fant. Fant won't end up being the top target getter in that offense. It makes me nervous to trust him for fantasy. And Robert Tunyon caught a lot of touchdowns last year. I know that people were excited about him, but he really didn't get a lot of targets. He was under five targets per game. Randall Cobb is back. Aaron Jones is going to get a lot of targets. I don't think there's any way Tunyon's going to continue to pick up touchdowns at the same pace he did last year. He's someone that I'm also avoiding. And last but not least, as you and I know, fantasy drafts are usually won in the latter half, rounds 8 through 16. Name some players at each skill position with the potential to become huge steals who will likely be available in that range. So my favorite tight end for this, as of now, is Adam Troutman with the Saints. And it, it, he really came into focus when Michael Thomas went down. And that's another bust, by, by the way, is Michael Thomas. But... If he's not there, who's left to catch the football in New Orleans? They're, they're, they're going to have to spread it around to 
you know, Traquan Smith and Marquez Callaway. And, and I think Trotman's going to be a big factor there. I really liked his route running, even as a rookie. Uh, he's a big dude. He's tough to bring down uh, yet another guy from the 2020 senior bowl. And I stood next to him, man. He is every bit of six foot five and 250 pounds. He will be a load. And you know what? He played in an offense that was similar to what the saints run when he was at Dayton. So I think I, I'm hoping that he's very comfortable in his second year with the saints. Cause I think he's going to get a lot of targets. There's definitely an opportunity for him to see upwards of six, seven targets per game. When Michael Thomas is out, maybe that turns into four or five when Thomas comes back, but you'll take that from a tight end, especially one that you take as late as, as Troutman. And I also like Johnny Smith and I liked him a lot last year. I, I think he's got a chance to be the top receiver in new England. And yeah, I said receiver, he's a tight end, but he might get the most targets there. Um, just see him as, as a reincarnation of some of the other tight ends that they've had in the past, especially guys that they can line up wide, find mismatches with. And uh, I, I'll like him better when Mac Jones is a the quarterback there. We'll see if how soon he comes in and takes over for Cam Newton. But I, I think that John U. Smith has a chance to really be a big factor. And I think the Patriots really like his skill set. So I, those are two guys at tight end that I'm really into at wide receiver. Uh, I've had a crush on Paris Campbell for a long time. I love the skill set coming out of Ohio State. Love the fact that, that he's just so great after the catch. He's healthy now. First day of training camp, all kinds of glowing reports out of Indianapolis about how good he is. I'll be at their first preseason game. I cannot wait to see Paris Campbell in person. Uh, hopefully he stays healthy for it. He's only played nine games in two seasons. You can get him with a late round pick. He's cheap. And in PPR leagues, I think he's got a chance to deliver over 10 PPR points per week. Just an awesome guy to put on your bench. Definitely one of my favorite sleeper wide receivers to go after. I also like Elijah Moore in New York. I think that he, he really fell into a great spot with the Jets. Don't really see anybody in that offense that's going to command targets. But if, if he's as slick of a route runner as we saw at Ole Miss, and he reminded me a lot of A.J. Brown at Ole Miss, then when Zach Wilson's moving out of the pocket, he will lock on to Elijah Moore. And I could see Elijah Moore getting some good production. He's a rookie receiver that I'm very excited about. And you can get him late on draft day. Running backs are tougher to find on draft day. You know, when you're looking late on draft day, I should say. But A.J. Dillon kind of has this unique skill set in Green Bay. And Aaron Jones might see an uptick in terms of targets, but I wonder if he'll see a downtick in terms of short yardage goal line, because I look at AJ Dillon and I see a version of Derrick Henry. And I bet LaFleur says the, and sees the exact same thing with Dillon because he used to coach Derrick Henry. And now he's found a difference maker who's physical and tough and can wear down defenses. I think Dillon's a good running back that you can put on your bench starting in round nine or round 10. Uh, another guy that I like that I think maybe a lot of veteran fantasy managers will they'll, they'll say, yeah, right, whatever, is Giovanni Bernard. And I think Bernard was brought to the Bucks pretty plainly to play passing downs and to do what Naheem Hines is probably going to end up doing in Indianapolis, referencing our earlier conversation. I think Giovanni Bernard will lock into that role. But if if Leonard Fournette stinks or if Ronald Jones stinks, there's a third option now for Bruce Arians to go to. And Giovanni Bernard has been a lead back in the past. He could do it again if, if the Bucks see fit. And I think he could end up being like, I, I think he could end up being an okay PPR running back. You know, if you're really just looking for depth at the position, I think he can do that. But I think the upside is there for him. If things break right for him to be more than that and taking a chance on him, you can literally wait till around 13 on Giovanni Bernard. People are not excited to draft him at all. And I think he's got some pretty good upside. There's quarterbacks that I like. Trey Lance obviously has huge upside. But I think we could see a breakout season from Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I, I, I love what the 
Dolphins did. They added some great receivers with Jalen Waddell and Will Fuller. Uh, Devontae Parker's on the pup list. He'll come off of that eventually. Ed Gesicki is there. It's a good group, and the offensive line's okay. And I, I just think Tua needs to do a little bit better job on those intermediate throws, but that's where we've seen quarterbacks break out. They get a new receiver or two. They improve their intermediate accuracy. They're not pressured as much. Voila, they become great in fantasy. Tua is another quarterback that you could draft. Maybe you wait till after Trevor Lawrence is off the board and you know Trey Lance is off the board, and you look at Tua Tungavailoa and say, okay, I'm going to spend this 14th-round pick on Tua. If he gets off to a hot start, great. I've got somebody that maybe I can trade to improve another part of my team. And if he stinks, so what? I'm out of a 14th-round pick. It's not a big deal. But he's probably one of my favorite sleeper quarterbacks to look at this year. Thank you very much, Dave. And that does it for this special episode of Sports Crunch. But our nonstop in-depth NFL coverage, as well as our Women in Sports series, continue in just a matter of days. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Richard and catch all his fantastic rankings and in-depth analysis at cbssports.com slash fantasy. You can also follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and Instagram at Sports Crunch with dcrom. For Dave Richard, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, and please get your COVID-19 vaccine if you haven't done so yet. I promise you that it will literally save your life. Take care, cats and kittens, and stay cool. <laughs>